So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Rona, I'm from yes, Canada Land Commons, and oh. I have a question for you. It's fairly innocuous, I think. From Vancouver, Winnie Code is joining us. Hi, Winnie. Hi. Today's show is all about the Conservative Convention in Vancouver. We sent Winnie to get us some dispatches from the floor. Yep, I talked to some very important people, including but not limited to the man who makes buttons for the convention and also leader Ron Ambrose. We also spoke to Conservatives about their plans to deal with climate change, as well as the future for Stephen Harper. I'm Vicky Mochama. I'm Winnie Code. And this is Canada Land Commons. Winnie, this episode of Canada Land Commons is brought to you by ShipStation. When you're selling online, getting your orders out the door quickly can be really tough. That's why you need ShipStation. It's the fast and easy way to manage and ship your orders all from one place. ShipStation helps you get your orders out quickly and to keep customers happy. Whether you're using Shopify, Squarespace, Etsy, BigCommerce, or over 75 other popular selling channels, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from one device, even your cell phone. Then, use ShipStation to create shipping labels for all the top carriers, including Canada Post, UPS, and FedEx. With ShipStation, you'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. Right now, you can try ShipStation free for 30 days. Plus, our listeners get a special bonus only if you use our offer code CANADALAND. Don't wait. Go to ShipStation.ca. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in CANADALAND. That's ShipStation.ca. Enter CANADALAND. Winnie, you are not a political journalist. Do you follow politics? Enough that I can talk to Americans about politics. So we wanted to get some fresh eyes on the convention, and we sent you down there. Tell us about what that was like. Somebody else on Twitter, I think, compared it to the Home Shopping Network. That's what a lot of the speeches were like. I would say particularly uh, Rana Ambrose's. When you say, like, the Home Shopping Network, do you mean that they would get up there with a policy and be like... For twenty ninety nine, you can get this policy in six easy installments. What do you mean, like, the Home Shopping Network? They were kind of making these, like, little in-jokes all the time about these, like, little truths about the annoyances of politics. But they were all about, like, the annoyances of liberals. 
they were constantly joking about the the elbowing thing in Parliament. But most of the jokes were about how the liberals aren't financially responsible and how the conservatives are really great. But how it's most like the Home Shopping Network was even things that were just like these incredibly stupid brags were presented as brags. Um, and by that, I mean, I literally heard the phrase, this is the best defeat in 25 years. <laughs> Which was, like, true, but, like, the way that they said it was, like, this is the best defeat. It was almost like they wanted the audience to repeat it back. Like they wanted somebody to celebrate, this is the best time anyone has ever lost. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you spoke to a lot of people while you were there. What were the demographics? There was a broad range. There was, like, elderly people in wheelchairs who couldn't walk. And there were also two 16-year-olds who I overheard saying... Is there anyone young here? Oh, that's adorable. I know. They actually, at one point, Rana Ambrose asked if there was anyone under 30. And there were cheers, but <laughs> there were 3,000 people in there. Were the cheers coming from young people or from people who had seen young people? <laughs> who, I think, maybe just who had heard of them. No, they were coming from young people, but, like, this was when uh, she went and she asked if anybody was yet basically was under 30 and young and then if anybody had facebook or twitter or snapchat which of course uh, tony clement did you were really interested in one particular person tell us about him okay so of course at all these conventions and i say this this being my first convention at all these conventions there are signs and posters or whatever but this one, there was free buttons, and already I'm in love with this because it's for free, and it's like flair, right? Like, it just reminded me of Office Space, and I was like, how can I make myself more like somebody who works at TGI Fridays? Anyway, so Button Man was the guy who was manning the button station, obviously. Now, was he manning the button station, or were these his buttons that he brought to the convention? Okay, so both. This man, his name is Devin. He loves the buttons, and he loved talking about how he made the buttons. So he definitely took some time to show me how to make a button. He showed everybody how to make a button, but he told me that I could do uh, one with him and then one just supervised um, because it was really hard to pull the lever down that you have to pull to push the button in. And I asked him about how he makes these buttons that are very topical out of scandals uh, like Elbowgate. For something like the Elbowgate scandal, A, it shouldn't have even been a scandal. It was ridiculous to begin with. Yeah. No one should have cared about that. Right. But since people cared so much, we thought, why not try to uh, add flame to the fire, right? Same like we did for the Rob Ford scandals back in 2014, I believe it was. Before Justin was elected, we had, I'd rather have a drink with Rob Ford than have a smoke with Justin. Those were really popular at the Manning Conference. I want to specifically ask you about this one button. It's a Canadian Heritage Moment background with what looks like a Photoshop picture of laughing Justin Trudeau <laughs> on a guy doing like a kung fu kick. Can you explain to me what it's about and like what the joke is here? What we've actually done here, though, it's crudely photoshopped. This is actually a wrestler. So there's a known meme where a wrestler would come and he would grab people's necks and he would come out of nowhere and he would 
throw you down. So this is what we're doing with the elbow. So this wrestling move, it's not a kung fu kick. It's because he's on laying on a mat. He's actually throwing down the elbow. Because we wanted to say that she titted my elbow. But those went out pretty quick instead of uh, I hit her with my elbow, right? Right. Okay, so this is this is a burn. Oh, absolutely. But, I mean, it's not even offensive because it's the subject matter to begin with is so shallow. What is it? What is FU16? Uh, Frank Underwood from House of Cards. Yeah, he's a murderer. Um, that's not an unusual title for politicians. <laughs> so he just sounds like an amazing guy. He's really passionate about his buttons. Yeah, he loves buttons. So running around the convention, you must have heard so many interesting things or different bits of conversations. What are some of your favorites? Well, there were two things that were my favorite. The first of which was a conversation held around the button table about the attractiveness of conservative women versus conservative men. And it was made while holding up a button that had uh, Ron Ambrose on it. This young woman was saying, this delegate was saying, conservative women are always better looking. And I think she was kind of looking at me like maybe I was on her side and maybe this was a compliment to me. People were kind of agreeing with her and she was saying, all of my friends are conservative women. And somebody else was saying, yes, but more women are uh, NDP or liberal. Like we don't have the women vote. Somebody else said it's actually quite easy to get the women vote because they're uh, low information voters. But this whole conversation about beautiful conservative women was held over a table of buttons with Margaret Thatcher's face on them that said, great conservative woman. And I kind of just like slowly held that up. That's a very dystopian image you've created of how people speak about politics. Oh, absolutely. Like just um, very, like very self-congratulatory and like not issues based whatsoever. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, I, I like the idea that somehow a belief in a lower tax rate and, you know, lower government interference means more beautiful women. Oh, absolutely. I wish that's how beauty worked. That is how the genetic code presents itself. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I overheard was really great was actually right before all the main speeches on the first day. It was a couple of women behind me. And they were saying, oh, don't you remember when we had to deal with Margaret Trudeau and she was so awful and she just sought the spotlight and she was a disgrace. And somebody really forcefully said, yeah, she was. But also I heard her speak on mental health and she knew what she was talking about, which was hilarious because it was like so hateful and yet so acknowledging. <laughs> So you also went around speaking to some conservative delegates and some policymakers at the convention. They made a lot of really important decisions over the weekend. They removed their policy against same-sex marriage. They added a policy to support the development of the Energy East pipeline. They support doctors and nurses now and their rights to refuse assisted suicide or abortions. Tell me, what specific policy did you have your eye on? Those are all really important, and I felt like they were all circling around a bigger issue because any major speech that was made at this conference made reference to Justin Trudeau. Not only Justin Trudeau, but the fact that he has appeared in Vogue and he's appeared in GQ or that there have been pictures of him doing push-ups. Um, and all of these comments have been made in this kind of like sly way that he is maybe 
annoying or that he like he's acting kind of like above his celebrity station or something and there have been all these comments in the speeches about how they care about flashiness and that the conservatives don't care about flashiness so i went around asking whether or not there was going to be an official conservative platform on whether or not justin trudeau being that he's being recognized as flashy whether or not he was actually going to be recognized as handsome is there an official party line about whether or not we can admit to any handsomeness because somebody told me that he was politically handsome like relative to parliament but what do you guys think you know what they call politics show business for ugly people so you're right the relatively he is but i'll tell you this once his hair starts to turn gray and the stress comes on he's not going to look so good something that i truly wonder is it in the conservative platform that you're not allowed to say that justin trudeau is handsome uh no not not no? as far as i'd like to see you Personally speaking, as a conservative, I don't find him handsome. No? No, not one bit. Because somebody said that he was, like, politically handsome. Not really. Like, in comparison. Not really. Like, so next so. like next to Steven. Pol politically, especially politically, he is not handsome whatsoever. But objectively, so he's, like, what about, like, street handsome? No. Actually, no, I, no, I wouldn't give him a double take, actually. Do you think, would you expect your party members to agree with you? I guess, I mean, I normally like a tall, dark-haired young man, but in his case, I find him very unappealing. Really? So, yes. Okay, yes. okay. That's all. That's okay, all. what about Sophie? Is she attractive? Not really. Oh, come on. I mean, she's not, she's an average-looking girl, and she obviously has some money and the people to camp for her, so she obviously can appear pretty good, but um, personally speaking... It does help. You know what? Like, I wouldn't... I would look at her and think, oh, wow, she's extraordinary. No, no. She's not ugly. But. Who's like the, so who's like the physical star of the conservatives, would you say? I'd say Rona, uh, Rona Ambrose. She's beautiful. And she's got a beautiful heart, too, so it makes it even that much more beautiful. So, personally speaking, and what a head of hair she has. But I gotta say for Justin Trudeau, yes, he's got great hair. Okay. That's about it. Maybe we'll have a leader who can stand, uh, shoulder to shoulder with Trudeau in his in the looks department. Yeah, all right. You also asked the current leader of the party about their handsomeness policy. Rona, I'm from yes, Canada please. Land Commons, and oh. I have a question for you. It's fairly innocuous, I think. We've had so many comments about Justin Trudeau's appearance. Is there an official party stance on whether or not he's actually handsome. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's something that we would debate on the floor. We're kind of serious people. No? There's so many jokes about it, though. I haven't heard any. Again, there's lots of people who don't want to admit that he's handsome. I disagree with them. I think he's pretty handsome. Yeah. I also think Tony Clement's handsome. So there's a major policy initiative that I want to talk about from the convention. The reality is we can't run from the environment. Canadians care about it. We can't put our head in the sands. We have to have a conservative approach to the environment. Uh, and frankly, when we've been successful throughout history, we've embraced that. That is Patrick Brown. He's the leader of the progressive conservatives in Ontario. Stockwell Day the former cabinet minister for Stephen Harper and Patrick Brown were in an event saying that the party needs to take climate change more seriously. 
This event was run by Canadians for Clean Prosperity, which is a nonprofit organization that advocates for policies that are both environmentally and economically friendly. I spoke to Canadians for Clean Prosperity's executive director, Mark Cameron, just before the event. And just as a note, he was a policy advisor to Stephen Harper from 2006 to 2009. Here's their vision. Well, we think the best way to have both fiscal and environmental responsibility is basically put a price on pollution and then use any money that's raised from that to cut other taxes. So if we can price carbon, tax carbon, any money raised from that to go back into cutting income taxes or sales taxes or other taxes. Winnie, did you get a chance to speak to Canadians for Clean Prosperity? Yeah, I did. They also had a button-making station. It really drew me to them. What were on their buttons? They had some quotations of conservatives talking about the environment. So they also had um, Margaret Thatcher buttons, Patrick Brown buttons, obviously. The Harper government did do some pretty damaging things to the environment. They reduced protections for lakes, they muzzled scientists, and they pulled out of the Kyoto Protocol. I asked Mark about the skepticism that some people might feel in the face of a conservative Green Party. I think there is a green vision for the Conservative Party. I think if you look at things like conservation, preservation of parks and wilderness and things like that, the Conservatives actually have a pretty good track record. It really is on climate and greenhouse gas emissions where the Conservatives have kind of taken a backseat. So I don't think the Conservatives have to renounce their whole legacy because there actually are a lot of areas where the Conservative Party did a good job on the environment. And it really is a matter of convincing people that Canada can't sit out of this, that we have to be part of a global solution on climate change and that there are solutions that are fiscally conservative. We wanted to get some more perspective on this, so we got in touch with Jason Thistlethwaite. He's an assistant professor at the Faculty of Environment at the University of Waterloo. He has been on the show before. And he has a newborn baby, which you might be also hearing in the background. Jason, do you think the Conservative Party has any credibility when it comes to environmental policy? Not much, based on its record over the last administration. So this was an area where, straight from the top, the government didn't want to directly deal with. But historically, the party does have credibility. Prime Minister Mulroney, for instance, is arguably the greenest prime minister in Canadian history. He did things like initiate regulation to limit damage on our forests from acid rain. But that was a long time ago. And so we've got quite a big ways to go now between uh, then and uh, some of the rhetoric that we heard over the weekend. The the proposal seems to be that the carbon tax introduced is going to go towards reducing tax rates. Should the profits from the carbon tax be going into environmental protection, into research, or into uh, clean technologies? The question about whether or not it's effective comes down to how the policy is designed. Now, BC has a revenue-neutral carbon tax where the revenue is then given back to taxpayers as a form of income tax. Now, it can be designed in a way that the more that your economy reduces your greenhouse gas emissions, the more income tax you get back and the more business tax reductions you get back. Now, that's a powerful economic incentive to change your behavior in ways that reduce mitigation. Other provinces um, are taking a different approach. Ontario is using a cap-and-trade system, whereby it uses its revenue to invest in things like clean technology and more efficient transportation systems and so on. So it does come down to a bit of a question about how you design the policy. I just think it's, it's nice to have a mature discussion on these options because there are different policy choices when it comes to how you go about doing this. 
this idea about giving money back, it's not that novel. It, you know, European countries have been using this approach since the late 1980s and, and early 1990s with some evidence of success. So I think that a market-based approach on its own is not sufficient. You are going to have to use other types of policies, particularly regulation. Ontario, as an example, has the largest greenhouse gas reduction of any industrialized jurisdiction uh, in North America by regulating the elimination of coal-fired power. Alberta's looking at doing something like this as well. So um, it's not a magic bullet, but it's one piece of the puzzle. Mark Cameron at Canadians for Clean Prosperity defends the government's climate record, but says that they had to change their priorities after the recession. There's a bit of a problem with that position in that it makes an unnecessary paradox between the environment and the economy. You're suggesting that they're at odds with each other or that they work against each other. If you introduce environmental policy, you're fundamentally limiting uh, environmental growth. And there's very little evidence that, in fact, that's the case when you design the policy in the right way. So using a recession as an excuse to not implement something that could be used, in fact, to grow the economy. And this is, and people like Patrick Brown and Michael Chan are saying these things, that some of these tools could, in fact, be used to expand the economy or, or used to, you know, in ways to help stimulate growth. So that's old thinking, the idea that the economy and environment are cross-purposes. And it's nice to hear some of these, um, you know, younger, more refreshing conservative voices making that point. At this point, do you think the conservatives have a way to sell themselves as an environmentally friendly party? Oh, well, so this is going to be a challenge. They definitely have a credibility gap in this space that has been filled by Justin Trudeau and and his strong and much more aggressive policy frameworks on the environment. Another challenge is uh, Alberta itself. And I think for a lot of people there, policy actions on the environment could be perceived as limiting their economic opportunity, given the fact that economic times are quite tough. And and that's a voter-rich area for that party. The other big challenge here is demographics. A part of the motivation for the Conservatives to actually adopt more progressive environmental policy is that most younger Canadians believe it to be a much more uh, a significant issue and, and trump even that of the economy. So that's a gap that they're going to have to um, try and address a, amongst the group of people that they're seeking to increase their vote for. I think the Conservatives do have some credibility in the area of conservation. They've increased some of our national parks, for instance, in size by 50%. Now, while they did that, they also simultaneously hacked apart protection for most of our riverways. So it was very much a double-edged sword when it came to this issue of conservation. Historically, the party has put money and resources into those different types of policy areas. You know, famously, the first government to ever protect you know, a natural space for future generations is the very conservative Roosevelt government. And this was late 19th century and early 20th century U.S. And this was done for very conservative reasons, to help give Americans of all generations a chance to actually look at what their country looked like. And it's the same motivation here in Canada for protecting our natural spaces. Now, if you just look at that idea or ideology from a bit of a different perspective, something like climate change, something like reducing our greenhouse gas emissions or helping adapt our infrastructure to more extreme weather, this is the same idea. We are trying to conserve our current way of life for future generations. Uh, And that's a space that the party could conceivably move to to help address some of these policy and and credibility gaps they face. That being said, they've really spent uh, quite a bit of time trying to work with this. And you could even see over the weekend that there are still parts of this party that dismiss those as being of low priority and, um, and something that Canadians don't really care about, which is not true. I think other parties have picked up on this to their success, as, as demonstrated in the last election. 
So um, it's about fucking time the conservatives join the rest of the party. And friends, as I look out on this great crowd tonight, I see the energy, I see the passion, and I see the deep abiding love for our Canada that will propel you forward to an even brighter future in the next election. So at the beginning of the convention, Stephen Harper came out and he did his big speech but he didn't really announce what he was doing next. So that's a big question still left for Stephen Harper. What is his next gig? I have this fantasy that he is just going to Michael Jordan his next job. He will unsuccessfully take a stab at something that he is very unskilled at, but that he thinks that he could kind of transition into. I would love to see him as a knife salesman. Like one of the knife salesmen. Yeah, like those scams that you kind of like reach adulthood when somebody tries to bring you into the knife selling scam. Oh yeah, like when someone opens up their trunk and they're like, "Oh, you should get really good knives in your life," and that would be Stephen Harper rolling through Calgary. Yeah, I would love to see him try to put out an album for his band that would do very poorly in album sales. I would love to see him negotiating with, like, CBC Music over airtime, where he's just like, it, you know, it is Canadian content, right? And they're like, oh, no, no, we are familiar. <laughs> with, with what Canadian content is, but no, sir. No. no. Former Prime Minister. It's been said that he's stepping down as an MP at some point between now and the beginning of September. CTV found out that he set up some kind of a corporation and now the, he will be appointed director of the Conservative Fund. So he's got some stuff going on. It's just we don't know if any of this stuff is full time yet. Maybe he'll just be like the rest of us millennials and join the gig economy. That's our show for this week. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Our producer is Kevin Sexton. Music by Nathan Burley. You can find us at CanadaLandShow.com. You can email me, Vicky, at Vicky at CanadaLandShow.com. Winnie, how can people find you? You can find me at, at PrayForWinnie on Twitter, or you can find some of my work on the Syrup Trap website. The next episode of Shortcuts comes out Thursday and Commons next Tuesday. If you like the show, support us at Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer.